In this episode, I'm joined once again by Rico Schneller, who is a professor at Leiden University and is the author of Wild Beasts of the Philosophical Desert, Philosophers on Telepathy and Other Exceptional Experiences, and Perspectives on Synchronicity, Inspiration and the Soul. In this episode, we discuss Carl Duprell's text, The Philosophy of Mysticism, which Hermitics has recently republished and is available for purchase via the links in the description below. I'd like to say a big thank you to my paid patrons and subscribers for making all of this work possible. And if you would like to support the podcast and keep it running indefinitely, alongside gaining access to some exclusive content, then please also find links in the description below. Otherwise, please enjoy. So, Rico Schneller, uh, thanks for joining us. I think this is the third time on Hermetics Podcast. Thank you. Uh, we are going to be discussing, as probably won't be surprised, so people won't probably won't be surprised by this. We are discussing. I've only got the 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 proof edition, but we are discussing uh, a work uh, by Carl Duprell called "The Philosophy of Mysticism." Uh, now, this episode sort of special in a way in that it's the first book which Hermetics Podcast has sort of published or republished under its own label uh, in a certain sense and sort of saved from the saved from being forgetting, forgotten in history, as I would say. Uh, and also Duprell, I know, is extremely close to your heart and he's someone that you, you've worked with for a long time. Um, so Emetics is the podcast we has spent a lot of time editing and proofreading and sorting out this book, along with uh, Holly Backus and Matt Cahoon, who both put a lot of work into it. Rico, you've also written a new, well, an introduction uh, to this edition of the book, The Philosophy of Mysticism by Carl Duprell. So really, we're going to be discussing the book and in a sense, promoting it uh, as this first sort of forgotten text, which uh, we, uh, we've we sort of saved from the uh, the mercy of the merciless history of philosophy. Mm-hmm. And this is, we should say, this is volume one of The Philosophy of Mysticism, which is in two volumes. Um, so, so Rico, maybe I'll begin by just asking you, who is Carl Duprell and when did uh, when did your love for his philosophy begin? Uh, Carl Duprell is a 19th century philosopher from the school of Schopenhauer. He's a philosopher, philosopher of the unconscious, of exceptional human experiences, of inspiration, creativity, clairvoyance, uh, and many more things, many more such things. And I uh, first hadn't known about him at all unless, uh, uh, so un- until I found a reference to his book in the bi- bibliography to uh, Freud's Interpretation of Dreams. It's a very interesting bibliography. And I uh, chanced upon the t- book title, uh, Carl Duprell, Philosophy of Mysticism in German, of course. And I liked the title. I did some research. What is this kind of book? First, I downloaded it and read it on my iPad, and I was so amazed. Uh, I was so enthusiastic about this ancient book, which was written in 1885. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, written in 1885, 86. Um, uh, and, and not only because I found the, the content interesting, but also the way it is written, <laughs> very attractive. I'm, I would even go as far as saying that it is one of the first and foremost books in my life. Uh, which I uh, adore, uh, along with a few other books, but not too many. And uh, believe me, I read quite a lot. So this is uh, on my top 10, or maybe my top five, The Philosophy of Mysticism. Mm -hmm. So I I discovered it through Freud, and then I uh, bought it, 
uh, I bought this copy. Uh, you see a German, but it's a print on demand with a stupid uh, cover. <laughs> um, and I uh, started uh, not only reading it, but teaching about it. I put it on the uh, program for my uh, bachelor course, philosophy in uh, Leiden University. And another year, I took another book by Karl Duprel, uh, not translated, The Mon Monistic Doctrine of the Soul. <laughs> so in several courses, I paid attention to Karl Duprel. Uh, I, I, I taught about him and also in single uh, courses. And uh, later, I uh, gave a lot of lectures on Karl Duprel's philosophy in several contexts, in societal contexts, theosophers, uh, liberal uh, Christian communities, uh, wherever I can't imagine where, and uh, so that's how it 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 came about. And now I, I met you, or, well, already a few years ago, and uh, I can't quite remember how through. Well, it was through some channel on Ludwig Klages, I think. Uh, through David, and, uh, through David Beth, I think. Yeah, through David Beth, uh, through David Beth. And then I, I wrote my other book, Synchronicity, Perspectives on Synchronicity, Inspiration and the Soul. And you found in it this, this references to Karl Bepral. And I, I think, I don't know, but I think you also got interested in him. And that's how things went. Well, yeah, I think in your, in your own work, uh, it was clear that Dupral, uh, you know, played a big part. And he was, I could sort of read between the lines that you were saying, also saying to the reader, you know, look, this is someone we should be, Taken, taken seriously, not forgetting, looking at, and uh, you. I think you mentioned the philosophy of mysticism a few times, and it was one of those cases as well that after I'd read your work, it was one of those things of of synchronicity where actually the book started to appear in other works that I was reading, which is very peculiar because it's not cited very often, but it did it what it did start to appear. Um, so yeah, uh, it's been uh, it's been a long journey to sort of get this book out and. Uh, begin this project so it's pretty exciting but i guess um would you consider this carl duprell's you know magnum magnum opus his most important work absolutely absolutely i think it's yeah i think it's his major work i can't say that i read everything he wrote but some of his books um but this book is particularly interesting because it's both theoretical and let's say empirical so he uses he uses a lot of let's say evidence or uh stories or, or uh, well, uh, reports uh, coming from different people. Uh, the most uh, famous one is the story about the uh, series of Prevorst, which is a major case for him uh, in, uh, overall. Uh, it was a, a very um, uncultivated peasant girl in the middle of the 19th century. Um, who uh, suddenly, at, at several uh, moments, uh, suddenly collapsed and uh, developed uh, an alternative state of consciousness during which she was suddenly uh, clairvoyant and she could tell things about other people which are normally uh, unseen or unheard. And uh, so that case uh, is uh, the center of many more cases which stimulated uh, Duprel in doing more and more research about uh, a, a alleged um, unconscious, or he, he rather calls it, prefers to call it a transcendental consciousness. Transcendental consciousness, that is a, a technical term. It is coming from Kant, <laughs> Immanuel Kant. 
and uh, it refers to a deep down state of mind of which we tend to be uh, um, uh, 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 about which we, we don't know anything uh, during our waking uh, consciousness but uh, in which we can go into which we can go or, or in which we do go uh, during either during exceptional states of uh, mind um, like let's say insanity mourning um, uh, psychical crises um, uh, or in a dream in our dream life uh, so there are two uh, two different ways uh, to access it but the thing is it cannot be instrumentalized it cannot be manipulated so it is not an easy way uh, to go into that transcendental or consciousness or unconscious it's it it reveals itself it makes itself felt in uh, different people at different times and it cannot really be controlled which is a nuisance to science which wants to control <laughs> and which wants to check and verify and do experiments but it 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 with withdraws from those kind of uh, uh, controlling uh, grasp uh, mm. anyway uh, the interesting thing is that um, beyond science there are too many people reporting uh, uh, all over the world from all times reporting exceptional states of mind which somehow underpin or support uh, the case which uh, Duprel is making based upon the evidence that was available to him and which led him to endeavor into further speculations about that transcendental uh, consciousness. What is it? How to uh, interpret it? How does it relate to our waking consciousness? What to expect from it? And those kind of questions. And why I find Duprel so interesting, of course, there are more authors writing on these uh, issues from the 19th century onward. But Duprel is a philosopher, and at some moment I get bored when reading always more reports and, 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 and mm. accounts. I want to, to interpret, well, understand, if I can use the word, I, I want to put it into some history of philosophy and related to philosophical texts and, and theories. And that is what Duprel is doing. And therefore, I think that Duprel is a very unique author. There are not too many of them. Um, even the 19th century, when the first researchers were uh, starting to publish, the majority of them were just gathering uh, reports without doing too much to, to, to interpret it and to put it in a, in a philosophical tradition. And that is what Duprel is doing. And that's why I think he is interesting also for intellectuals. Okay. Okay, well, I think um, to uh, you know, as you've mentioned, Kant, the transcendental consciousness, and then Duprel as this sort of uh, continuation of Schopenhauer. We should probably lay the lay the Kantian and Schopenhauerian foundation. So really, we're we're beginning from this this notion of with Kant uh, the transcendental aesthetic, the idea of representation and the thing in itself, and the the inability to to. Uh, not exist within the phenomenon and and uh you know have have no means to to uh 
attend to the thing in itself, which then, of course, moving, I mean, this is very quick and very rough, as you as you will know, uh, moving through to Schopenhauer, this relationship with the thing in itself is then understood uh, in relation to the will, uh, the, 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 well, the world as will and representation as the two pillars of Schopenhauer's philosophy, which is understood as quite pessimistic. And so how is it that we can consider Duprel a neo-Schopenhauerian who's continuing this tradition. And, exactly. and neo-Schopenhauerians, I would say, are quite rare, it seems. No one, you get a lot of Hegelians, you know, as Hegel and Schopenhauer, as those two forks, really, I would say, of two different way, distinct ways that philosophy went. We hear a lot about the Hegelians, but we don't hear a lot about people who followed on from Schopenhauer's tradition. Yeah, because they somehow they surround what is called reason with other uh, forms of uh, mental input. <laughs> and one might be afraid of leaving the safe road of philosophy. <laughs> that may be a reason for what you say. But to start with Kant, as you know, Kant uh, uh, withdrew what he called a thing in itself from human access. The only thing we know is the phenomenal. Uh, a thing in itself must be assumed as existing beyond the impenetrable uh, borders of the phenomenal. But then Schopenhauer came and he said, but we can access the thing in itself. However, not by knowing it, Kant was right on that, but we can experience it inside. And it, it, it reveals itself as will. And well, that is of course a claim made by Schopenhauer, which cannot be rationally verified, but it can be accessed by inner experience. So it is Schopenhauer's main uh, hypothesis or theory and the basis of his own philosophy and which lays the foundations for experience as a, a, a meaningful source of philosophy and, and thinking. And uh, like philosophy of life is issuing from Schopenhauer as well. Uh, but OK, go, going back to the thing in itself, which in Schopenhauer is will. And which is even more, it's not a personal uh, will, but it's will as such, an impersonal will, which reveals itself everywhere and which suggests that it is my will, your will. There is, whereas there is no such a thing as my will, your will. I think that I want this, I want that. But it's always a make-believe and it's an illusion. And once I uh, get my will satisfied, it turns out to be dissatisfactory again. So it, it keeps the ball rolling. Uh, and that uh, the, the whole point and purpose of Schopenhauer's philosophy is to uh, understand or, 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 or rather to feel that will is vain and that it must somehow be brought to a standstill. Okay, that, so after Schopenhauer, there was a, 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 a new tradition of philosophy developing, which was interested in inner experience as a root cause of thinking, which transcends the alleged rationality. And that's, that's a romantic philosophy. And one of those romantic philosophers was Eduard von Hartmann, the German philosopher of the unconscious. He was a Schopenhauerian, neo-Schopenhauerian. He did research in all kinds of... Uh, unconscious forms of unconsciousness preceding our act, acts of, of thinking or of acting or whatever. Uh, von Hartmann was an, a stimulating uh, force to Karl Duprel, 
However, they differed on one crucial issue for uh, Hartmann. Uh, the unconscious was, just as it was for Schopenhauer, impersonal. And uh, Duprel disagreed with that. He said, uh, von Hartmann is, is wrong. The deeper you go, the more you uh, find a deeper form of knowing, of knowledge. Uh, you don't uh, 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 stumble over some uh, impersonal force, uh, which is uh, a kind of inner drive or will, as Schopenhauer and von Hartmann claimed, but it's something personal. Uh, and it, uh, or personal in the sense, it belongs to me uh, and it's individual. So there you see that the new uh, approach of the unconscious uh, makes itself felt and uh, comes to the fore, which I find is very promising uh, because that personal unconscious uh, is, is a basis for, um, for, for everything in Duprel, both for acting, let's say for, for what we call ethics, and also for interpreting our life as a whole, and also even for interpreting history and development in history. So Duprel is, of course, living in an age of the doctrine of evolution, Darwinianism, and Duprel claims that Darwin is right, but only uh, half, hmm. since Darwin uh, 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 neglected to pay attention to the development or the evolution of the mind. He only paid uh, attention to the evolution of matter, and that is flawed. Uh, okay, so uh, maybe I go too far in no, what you wanted to ask all, me. Uh, but coming back, so the thing in itself, the conscious thing in itself, supposedly uh, out of our reach, only to be known by a god, as Kant said, it can be known, or rather it can be accessed, uh, whether as an impersonal force which is deep down and beyond all our conscious activities, as in Schopenhauer or von Hartmann, or as a deeper form of awareness, uh, as in Karl Duprel, and which is in Duprel is personal, uh, all, even though uh, unknown to us, as long as we are living in a waking state, as we usually do. Okay, okay. So I guess a question would be, why is this a philosophy specifically of mysticism then? In what sense does 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 what how you've explained that trajectory of Duprel's philosophy, in what sense does he understand that as a mysticism? Yeah, you're right. So the term mysticism is perhaps a bit misleading <laughs> uh, because it suggests uh, the divine experiences, uh, uh, well, at least in the Middle Ages, or, although uh, if, uh, that definition of mysticism is flawed. Uh, when when uh, paying attention to Eckhart, uh, etc. But okay, let, let's leave that uh, out for a while. Uh, in Duprel, mysticism is synonymous to uh, somnambulism. <laughs> I don't know if that solves the issue because many people may not know what somnambulism. Somnambulism was the 19th century term for um, what we prefer, preferably call hypnosis today, uh, an altered state of consciousness. Uh, uh, but, but by calling it mysticism, uh, Duprel makes a claim about the mystical tradition at large, uh, which he tries to reinterpret by, by applying the term mysticism to uh, an altered state of consciousness, 
which we today might rather call hypnotism, hypnotism, and which was called in the 19th century somnambulism. Somnambulism, it's not the same as, as the word might suggest, sleepwalking, but it came, it comes down to in the 19th century uh, thinking to uh, relapsing from a waking state of mind to uh, an, uh, another state of mind during which we suddenly uh, turn out to possess um, faculties of knowing uh, and intuiting, uh, imagining uh, uh, unusual capabilities, which we seem to lack when returning to the waking state of mind. And everybody who says, I, I, uh, show me, tell me, <laughs> I, I can see it, I, ca I can't see it, then uh, uh, the reply might be, well, <laughs> look around, talk hmm. to people, start hmm. talking to people, uh, as not only Duprel did, but as many of us did, and, and pay attention to the unusual phenomena that a lot of people experience. Uh, so that, that uh, might be a proper uh, substitute for the classical forms of mysticism, which we know from the the Middle Ages, and which put it in, in an other uh, dress, so to say, which gives an other picture of them. Uh, okay, mm -hmm. I, I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So this really Duprel is in, in relation to that inner inner experience that you were talking about. Duprel is maybe, I don't want to say one of the first, because that's misleading, but one of the first in a certain sense, in a certain form of, is he trying to understand the inner inner experience in a scientific categorical way or is he as you said it's quite a romantic philosophy he's merely just looking at it and expanding on it and saying let's just look at it well he is ambiguous about science um he's rather thinking of science how it should be or ought to be and how should science be it should be open-minded it should not block or erase uh, phenomena that cannot be interpreted on account of the, the, the standard paradigms, but it should always be ready to revision the paradigms in which it works. And that is a problem. Uh, Dupas is critical of the overall tendency among so many scientists, and I would add personally that this still applies today, unfortunately, mm. that scientists tend to approach new phenomena, unusual phenomena, on the basis of, the pair of a given paradigm. And uh, and either they say it doesn't fit into, so the phenomenon uh, is, is wrong, it's an error, it's not a phenomenon at all, you must be crazy, <laughs> or they reduce it to, uh, to what they already know. Uh, but the things, not all unusual phenomena can be reduced to the parameters of the given paradigms. Now, Duprel is suggesting that science should always focus on unexplicable phenomena and, and, and first and foremost orient itself towards those rather than reduce everything to the, the, the given paradigm. Well, you, you may know, uh, of course you know about the discussion about paradigm theory in Thomas Kuhn, um, especially Thomas Kuhn in, in the 60s of the 20th century, who uh, made a case of uh, progress in science through paradigm switch, uh, switch and the paradigm switch is very difficult because there are um, agents protecting the, the, the prevalent paradigm 
and, and they're not letting anybody in, uh, 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 escape from it uh, without uh, excommunicating them. So you see, uh, these are all social issues. Uh, so Duprel is suggesting that science should always be open to deal with unexplicable phenomena and be capable of, I agree with that absolutely, of putting into question its own premises, its own uh, starting points. Because if there's one thing that seems to be lacking in science, that is self-reflection. Uh, science is studying a lot. Uh, scientists, uh, well, science is not a, a uniform. There are many forms of science and there are many scientists and many mentalities among scientists. Uh, we should not uh, be blind to that. But overall, science tends to uh, to be very clever and intelligent and greedy in researching new new phenomena. But it's it's it tends to be blind to um, being aware of its own premises, and, and they have these premises have to do with consciousness and the state of consciousness, which is uh, taken as absolute. And there uh, we should return to if we want to do justice to accept uh, unexplicable phenomena, because they may put into question the basic premises of science. Uh, and, and therefore, the, uh, many scientists will be ready to say, so these phenomena are unscientific <laughs> or the, uh, the, those re reporters are unscientific. Uh, so they do not apply, etc. So you see, the problem is very, uh, very uh, tricky, very uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tough. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I've recently been reading Edmund Husserl's Logical Investigations, where he puts forth this, you know, a theory of science, of science, which is sort of recursive. It's like, well, how is science doing science? And these ideas never really took off in terms of them critiquing their own hegemony of, as you say, only uh, saying, here's the paradigm, here's the foundation. And if it doesn't fit into this foundation, it's not that it's something else entirely it's that it's just completely incorrect and we shouldn't investigate it. And as yeah. you say, and, and they, of course, always have these uh, means of avoiding responsibility for things which don't fit into their own paradigm, yes. which is usually just a willful ignorance yeah. of. Interesting that you refer to Roussel. I think that there is a line leading <laughs> one thread running from Duprel to Roussel. I think Roussel tries to combine the forces of empiricism and idealism. Empiricism mm -hmm. is blind to, to the mind mm -hmm. and it's only gathering uh, sense data. Mm -hmm. And uh, idealism is, bl uh, is blind to the otherness, the alterity of experience. Mm -hmm. And it insists, it overemphasizes the mind. And, and uh, whose phenomenology, uh, uh, most uh, emphatically in the 20th century, uh, tries to, to combine both by reducing the mind to intentionality and by uh, uh, trying to describe without any prejudice phenomena. Well, I'm not saying that Roussel is simply a perpetuation of Duprel, yeah. uh, but it's, it's an attempt to do, to do justice to phenomena mm. without precluding them, without yeah. declaring them impossible. Well, Husserl sort of, I mean, this is early Husserl, I'm not sure how... I don't want to comment too much how it, how it changes when he gets through to like the Aydin. But, uh, you know, that, 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 that point that even when you're attending to empirical phenomena, you are always utilizing as a foundation something which is somewhat of an idealistic universal, something which is pure, is, is unknown, is in inner experience. And so you always have this conflict between the two. Um, and of course, 
through to do Prowl using the much uh, riskier things such as clairvoyance and other inner experiences. We're really addressing the the, the, the sort of extremities of inner experience. Um, so this, in a certain sense, I mean, how does this uh, bring about alterations to how we understand, as you said, transcendental consciousness or for du Prowl, the transcendental ego? Um, can you repeat the question? How does this bring alterations? Well, how, how does this uh, change how we are addressing this, the, these notions of the ego and the transcendental consciousness? Yeah. So the ego is layered, it's stratified. Uh, and that is a, a tradition which I find very, very uh, promising uh, also for philosophy, also in light of what we call philosophy East-West, comparative philosophy, intercultural philosophy, because we should pay attention to the way we approach phenomena. And, and, and what happens, what, what, what we do to our mind before we approach phenomena, and also what we exclude in our mind when we approach phenomena, especially that. It might be that what we call transcendental consciousness in the Kantian sense of the word, or, yeah, that, that the transcendental consciousness in the Kantian sense rests upon a preclusion, on, on a foreclosure, uh, it closes the door to to input which comes from the inside. Uh, well, this makes consciousness a very um, unstable, but very interesting uh, uh, found foundation for studying nature and reality. Uh, yeah, this fascinates me a lot. So science uh, believes it can start from an allegedly neutral um, uh, mind, uh, contemplative or rational, uh, not um, taking into account that consciousness as such is not, a or the mind, whatever you want to call it, it's not a stable thing, that it is stratified, and that those stratifications can, uh, at, at unexpected moments, come to the fore. <laughs> And uh, that is the way Duprel is going. So it affects the ego. And it might be that beyond our, let's say, superficial ego, there is another form of, well, how to call it, ego with big E, or rather the self. Uh, today, uh, many people, especially if they do yoga or so, they speak about the ego, uh, or the, when they do uh, management studies, the ego should, should be removed, because if you're only following your ego, then things turn out to, 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 to go wrong, and it must be, be, you must be out for some, some superseding goal, and not only about yourself. Uh, so then the term ego is used as the superficial ego, the ego that identifies with outer phenomena or with honor or, or, or career or uh, well, uh, um, victories, mm. but not uh, seeing that those are uh, uh, not perennial, that those will finally f fade away, that they will disappear uh, with death, and that there may be something beyond. So Duprel is suggesting that behind the superficial ego, there is a deeper ego. Uh, Jung will call it the self, with a big S, uh, selbst or self, uh, which comes down to an, an, an hidden layer of consciousness, which um, surrounds the superficial ego with a deeper form of consciousness, 
and which also embraces it, which is interesting. If you compare it to a circle, I will do it by, let's say this is the, this is the, the ego, the superficial ego, and then the, the self or the deeper ego surrounds it, which implies that when I'm acting, I, when I'm winning something or, or pursuing some goal, which I said to myself, it may be that that intentionality is blurred by a more profound form of intentionality, which originates in a deeper self, which um, deepens or widens my flat intentionality with a more embracing, uh, which, which acts through my intentions, and perhaps sometimes even despite my immediate intentions. And if you want to, how, how do I know, how do I know, my, my own suggestion would be, uh, look back onto your life. Uh, if you look, uh, only look at your daily uh, intentions, your plans, and uh, uh, what you plan to do, and uh, then you do not have this wider and more embracing picture. But if you look back onto your life, you can, you might be able to see a more, uh, embracing form of development which may not be rational but may which may which may um, pervade my day-to-day -day intentionality and causality so that is it's difficult to explain <laughs> but it's uh, so I think the example might uh, be a little helpful to gain access to, to, to how that deeper ego or self might act. Some people uh, might prefer to call it God. I would have no objection to that at all. Uh, but of course, it would presuppose a, a, a kind of reconsideration or revisioning of what we tend to mean by the word God and the word uh, self. And of course, uh, the aim should not be to conflate God with uh, something which is at my disposal. My deeper self is not something which is at my disposal, but it's something which is, is, escapes my grasp. So I, I think it, it's, it's not alien to, to what people tend to call God. Uh, okay, but that would be another problem to, to discuss. Hmm. I, so I think that, that may give some issue, some clues as regards the notion of um, a, a deeper self or a transcendental ego, uh, which supersedes the, de the daily uh, waking consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in relation, I mean, in a certain sense, when you were talking back to that sort of superficial ego of successes and material and, you know, the phenomenal sort of horizontal trajectory, it seems that is there is there some uh, philosophizing in relation to transcendental time, which is of importance to this this greater ego. Yeah, transcendental time. That 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 the term seems very complex because w what would that be? <laughs> it would be uh, people need not shy away for such a term as transcendental. It would be an other time, an alternative time, a time which cannot be measured, but which. Uh, might pop up as an uh, intermittently or as an interruption and an interruption uh, for example in in periods of life which we tend to call a crisis a crisis may bring to the fore um revelatory moments 
or perhaps the term revelatory may be a bit too strong. Uh, a crisis is also a crisis because people don't know anymore what happens to them. Uh, but at least another form of organization which cannot be uh, controlled. Uh, it's interesting to, to find, let's say, well, confirmation is a bit a strong word, but let, let's call it confirmation in, in authors, in literary authors, the most famous one being Marcel Proust, uh, 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 searching for the time lost. I don't know how to translate it in English. Mm -hmm. À la recherche du temps perdu. Uh, and, uh, and to reread Proust in light of the notion of a transcendental time. The famous um, tea gossiping scene in which, uh, no, tea sipping, sorry, tea sipping scene in which he is uh, suddenly, suddenly uh, having a revelatory experience about an well, it's a, well, a, a transcendental time frame in which death is not urgent anymore, not frightening anymore, in which another organization appears, but it soon gets lost because the uh, ordinary time returns. So uh, in my own book, Syn Perspectives on Synchronicity, Inspiration and the Soul, I try to find evidence if you want to call it evidence, in the literary authors. Because literary authors are you know, beyond dispute. We all read literature. And um, they just testify. They testify to forms of experience from their own, uh, on their own behalf, on their own account. And I find it very interesting. Uh, you can go even further and go to, uh, or to mystical authors or to uh, autobiographies by whomever, not only literary authors, but also scientists, uh, for, for skeptics, skeptical people. I recommend reading the biographies of great scientists hmm. uh, and they will be amazed because they, those biographies testify to, to immaterialist uh, uh, experiences uh, so uh, or experiences of, of an immaterial or transcendental uh, moments throughout their lives it's very interesting very fascinating and that though that should not be left out of the story of science uh, but okay the, the notion of transcendental time a, a disruptive time a time which blocks uh, ordinary time or interrupts it uh, I could also refer to Walter Benjamin or Jacques Derrida, to uh, 20th century thinkers, who also underline this, this the, uh, Derrida even calls it messianic, a messianic time, which is uh, has, has a characteristic that it is promising. It, 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 it holds a promise, although the, the content of the promise is unclear. So it's a promise without an identifiable content. Uh, and Walter Benjamin, he speaks about um, a kind of interruption of uh, well, what he calls, it may lead too far a little bit for our exchange now, uh, about uh, interruption of mythical violence, uh, let's say of the structures that we have created by ourselves in society, in science, in, in, in ethics and law, etc and which, when interrupted, may uh, give rise to a whole altogether different uh, time frame, which Benjamin as well calls um, messianic or even divine. 
So I'm, I'm open to bringing those traditions in, in touch with each other, even though they have a different background and a different framing of their account. Hmm. So I'm, I'm interested what you said about the, the novels and the, 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 the literary experiences, people such as Proust, as being you know, taken seriously. I'm interested in thinking that this, this really is relating to Dupral as someone who is taking dreams and dream space and dream time as something which is, you know, it, it's happening. It's there. There is something there. Um, and I guess, as you said with Derrida, there's sort of even a, a promise there. Um, but in the in but in the certain sense, we also have to understand that they're not of the entirely empirical normal world. So why, you know, amidst this sort of amidst this philosophy i mean maybe it seems quite clear now why why sleep and dreams and somnambulism would become such important things because they really seem to be the vessels for this this in between this difficult in between of experience and so is duprella assessing dreams and assessing somnambulism because that's the space really where the inner experience is actually quite visible Absolutely. And, and so dreams is a starting point because dreams are the most, let's say, uh, accessible, or, or, albeit as unaccessible forms of access mm -hmm. uh, because they cannot be instrumentalized. Um, but we all dream. Um, I, I should make a precaution. So Dupra is not claiming that every dream is immediately illuminating. On the contrary, the average dream is still perpetuating a day consciousness. We are processing daily activities, but it becomes interest. It may become interesting once the threshold of perception is, is uh, shifting. It's, uh, and that uh, can, that is already intensified when we fall asleep, but when we are asleep and when we are dreaming, the threshold may again be shifting and uh, withdrawing. Uh, so that uh, uh, still more, uh, still deeper forms of consciousness uh, may come to the fore, uh, and and they may appear in average dreams in the forms of traces, unexplicable traces, uh, like unexplicable uh, uh, elements of dream content, which cannot be explained when reflecting upon them. However, dreaming is 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 uh, let's say the most direct way, <laughs> but. Uh, it, when uh, living our daily lives, we may have dream experiences. We may dream uh, uh, eyed wide shut, so to say, uh, uh, referring to that movie. Um, for example, if we undergo a crisis or when we are in mourning or when we fall ill uh, or when uh, we uh, travel or, uh, or when we are in a violent situation. So those limit situations, they may also make the sensory threshold shift and they may uh, uh, reveal usually hidden forms of content. Uh, think about artists um, dependent upon creativity and that creativity cannot always be manipulated. It sometimes it must be awaited. It, it withdraws. It disappears, and then it returns. Uh, but the, the state of creativity is amazing. And suddenly they can create, and they can create things that they they didn't expect they were capable. But you don't have to be an artist if you are, for example, a policymaker. Uh, today we were witnessing the crisis in the Ukraine and the war with Russia, etc. And people are asked what to do. What to do in this uh, this uh, this 
terrible situation, how to solve the issue. Well, not only how to end the war, but also how to create a new status quo, which is more or less acceptable. Well, it's very difficult. Nobody has easy solutions, but sometimes e solutions, they come, they appear. But how? Well, it, it's interesting that they may appear as a kind of uh, exchange between people in which an extended mind manifests itself something transcending the single mind mm -hmm. and something which is not cannot be captured by the group thinking or the group in charge of solving the issue let's say the un or whatever uh, but something uh, well making use of minds but operating despite those minds mm -hmm. apply it on each other level which you wish uh, uh, sometimes solutions they uh, they suggest themselves uh, and, and nobody knows where they come from and and how they are born uh, but they testify to alternative states of mind so they they're not fully uh, fully esoteric or if you call them esoteric they are not outside of ordinary life we have to face uh, insoluble issues. Well, the Ukraine crisis is, is just only a current uh, for example, but even in private lives, there are, uh, there are crises, there are issues with that we have to settle, to deal with. Uh, but And we, we cannot know beforehand how to deal with them. Uh, but then a, a sudden uh, accepting of state of mind may break or may disrupt or discontinue a kind of, of, of pattern in which I, I have been moving so far and give a rise or to or space to an alternative approach, mm. which might be uh, well promising. Mm. But this, 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 whatever it is, which is, appears so far, I mean, especially in relation to Schopenhauerian philosophy, this all seems quite deterministic. We don't really have a say in this, this arrival, do we? In Schopenhauer, uh, it's, it's, it's something is deterministic, uh, but there are some. The will is non-deterministic. So mm -hmm. will, in, in, but it's a Schopenhauer. Will is free. Why? Because it's not determined by anything outside of it. Mm -hmm. So there is something, and and uh, uh, when we uh, reach the level of will itself, an ultimate freedom is reached, which enables Schopenhauer to account for. Uh, unusual uh, phenomena, forms of clairvoyance and, and, and telekinesis and, and telepathy, etc. In, in many of his uh, later texts, Schopenhauer claims that exceptional phenomena are uh, offer empirical evidence to his philosophy of will. Uh, so in terms of determin determinism, determinism is surrounded by indeterminism. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that I find it fascinating. So at the level of the superficial level, there is causality, but at a, at a deeper level, there is non-causality. And Duprel is not a determinist on the contrary, but he believes that he radicalizes this Schopenhauerian idea by claiming that a form of uh, non-determinism or indeterminism pervades determinations. And can at all times pervade it, uh, and uh, and make the uh, the, the uh, foreseeable ultimately unforeseeable. Uh, one can say the probable 
is 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 a name for the the the, the foreseeable which has become uh, non necessary. Sorry for this complex uh, terms which I introduce. So this determinism is not extreme, mm-hmm. not even in Schopenhauer, um, and even less in in Karl Duprel. Mm-hmm. Is is there anything to be to be done with this for Karl Duprel? It doesn't seem like it should be something to be to be forced. There still should be a relationship of uh, just allowing this this. Yeah, that's interesting question. So uh, I think openness, open mindedness, that would be easiest the easiest answer. Um, uh, Duprel himself was fascinated by a phenomena, an unusual phenomena. He was doing research on uh, on, on spirit uh, phenomena, and and I think it was in the, towards the second half of the eighties of the nineteenth century he met with a Russian philosopher called Alexander Aksakov. Mm-hmm. Who became his new friend? He he uh, introduced spiritism in Europe, and then Karl Duprel helped him defend it. But it fit into his philosophy because a spirit, uh, a kind of residue of material uh, ex- existence, uh, may refer to a kind of transcendental uh, phenomenality. But Duprel himself, well, I'm not suggesting that everybody should study spirit phenomena. Duprel himself, he was very much interested in, in it. He, he went to, to, to seances and he did experiments with the mediums who were largely capable of channeling, channeling uh, spirits. Uh, anyway, for, for those who are very enthusiastic, they could do this kind of research. It's still a curse, but of course, there's a lot of forgery, as you can imagine. Uh, but for the, my, my personal recommendation would be uh, to, 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 to open your mind. And th- I don't want to, intent to, to, to express a very uh, cliche by this. To open your mind, uh, like, let's say when you're working somewhere, uh, whether in, as a civil servant or as a scientist, uh, open your mind to your own uh, level of insanity. Uh, I think we all have a level of insanity. And that level is opened uh, 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 when we touch upon our own talents or our own enthusiasm. Uh, that which made made us choose for this or for that. Uh, I, I tend to call our talents our weak spots. Our talents are our weak spots. They're not our strong, not not our strength, but our weaknesses. Why? Because there we are uh, uh, leaking. Uh, uh, something from the outside is leaking inside and there we are weak and there we are open or susceptible to a kind of input that we cannot control when we are enthusiastic about whatever subject be it stars be it uh, theological uh, doctrines be it social phenomena or be it uh, rainbow or plant life or you call it whatever there's something is 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 imposing itself onto us which makes us act which makes us follow a certain pattern in our life. So I think to follow that is of primal importance for all of us. And I call it our insanity, our, our, our original insanity. And we should keep contact with that original insanity when fulfilling our daily uh, job and are, are doing our daily uh, things. And then the kind of transcendental input is warranted somehow. That would be my suggestion. 
I guess one question I would like to ask, just jumping a little bit back to the dream aspect of things, is as, you know, Duprell sort of probably in the history of philosophy is most famous, one of the most famous places you might have seen him is, as you said, in the bibliography of uh, the Freud's uh, the interpretation of dreams. I mean, in what sense are we seeing a difference between how Freud is analysing dreams and how Duprell is analysing dreams? A very interesting difference. Uh, Freud assumes the, uh, the existence of an unconscious, but he claims that it cannot not be entered whatsoever. It's for always outside of our reach. Mm. So when Freud is, is introducing the idea of the Oedipus complex, which he claims exists or occurs or lives inside the unconscious, he cannot prove it. He can only testify to it by uh, referring uh, to uh, cases, to his clients who, 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 who somehow throughout their uh, pathology uh, gave a te bear testimony to it. But it cannot be entered whatsoever. So one can, uh, I'm very in interested in doing that, uh, uh, associate Freud with the uh, Jewish, uh, uh, you say, uh, inhibition, no, I call it prohibition of idols. Uh, so that thou shalt not make an, an uh, uh, an idol. Uh, so you, 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 uh, God is unknowable. <laughs> well, Freud doesn't speak this language, but to Freud, the unconscious cannot be accessed whatsoever. And Duprel is different. It can be accessed, albeit with difficulty, albeit that it is not an easy way to go, albeit that it is uh, most of the time unpredictable, uh, and that sometimes uh, people without their own will fall into it take for example the series of pre-force but there are many contemporary examples as well um uh, and perhaps those mediums etc or people um falling prey to exceptional uh conditions uh, i already mentioned a few let me also add the near-death experience i think everybody knows about it or has heard about it and whatever you think of it, it would be worth uh, worth uh, asking or, or just consulting reports of people who had them uh, and consider that these reports as possible accounts of an access to this transcendental form of consciousness. But since you asked about the difference between Freud and Duprel, it can or cannot be accessed. And that is a major difference between the two. So Freud uh, refuses speculation uh, whatsoever. And Jung, Carl Gustav Jung, he was an uh, assiduous reader of Carl Duprel, as from his studies of medicine in, in the beginning of the well, in the beginning of the 20th century already, he, he read Duprel and he recommended reading Carl Duprel. And in Jung, we find forms of access to that. Um, transcendental self, which Jung will call the self, to court, the self. And uh, he suggests, Jung, I'm talking about Jung, suggests that the self may reveal itself throughout people's lives uh, and uh, in, in life crises, especially in life crises. Uh, so then, uh, he, he, but Jung goes much further than Karl de Prel. He, he introduces the notion of archetypes, archetypes, which are, let's say, the prophets of the self or, or indications of the, the self imposing itself upon the ego. Uh, 
okay, so you see Jung and Duprel, they are optimistic as regards our possibility to enter the, uh, the, uh, uh, the unconscious, if you wish, whereas Freud uh, believes it's completely uh, unaccessible, completely. Mm. Okay, okay. Hmm. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, and I mean, um, is there anything you'd like to add about just volume one that you feel we've glossed over? I mean, for, for people listening, there is a lot more packed into this book. Um, but do you think there's anything key that we need to add in for volume one? Uh, well, I, I really recommend reading the volume, of course. It, it's obvious. It's very accessible. Well, some chapters may be a bit complex, uh, but you must simply just persevere and wait until easier moments come. Uh, but it, it, it is a fascinating reading, especially if you have some philosophical background. Well, I think you need some philosophical background. Um, I recommend reading it. And I'm con uh, convinced, I'm convinced, 100% convinced, that those who will be absolutely be fond of reading Duprel will be found among artists. <laughs> And, and, and a creative thinkers, because they know what Duprel is talking about. Let me refer to another book, untranslated in English, Psychology of Lyrics. It, it's a book on poetry in, in which Duprel tries to interpret the psychological state of mind of poets. And interestingly, there were a lot of poets, and not even uh, insignificant poets, uh, who turned to Duprel for advice or for, for counseling concerning their state of mind. For, uh, among them was Rainer Maria Rilke. Uh, so they saw, uh, or they, they were uh, convinced that Duprel had something to teach them about themselves. So Duprel uh, may be a lunatic in the eyes of some, but an interesting lunatic, and a lunatic who can inform us about lunacy or an insanity, which is at the basis of our average rationalized and let me add bourgeois daily mindsets so Duprel is is a very wonderful read and you will not be disappointed i think mm -hmm. and i hope that we can soon work on the second volume which needs to be done the second volume will enter into topics such as the notion of memory the fascinating notion of memory what is memory in fact and if we recollect and also on the notion of ethics, well, in, in Duprelian way, not, not in a superficial way, or what should I do, which, what should I not do, that is a superficial way of speaking, but ethics in the form, in the sense of discovering what to do. He will also enter into the subject of sexuality, drawing is drawing upon Schopenhauer, he, he also wrote the Metaphysics of the Sexual, uh, and what I read there, it's so amazing, but we will keep this for another uh, exchange mm -hmm. uh, when we will have published uh, volume two. So yeah, let me uh, recommend Duprel as a, as a very fascinating author. And in my own book, Perspectives on Synchronicity, I, I forgot to mention that I dedicated that book to Carol Duprel and to Ludwig Klages. Uh, well, this, this talk was not about Klages, but that is the other one of my heroes. And Duprel is, is uh, one. I, I consider him so important that I dedicated my own book to, to his legacy. Very good. Very good. Well, for anyone uh, listening or watching who is uh, interested in the book, uh, all the Amazon links will be um, in the description below as, as, as for a link to your own book, Rico. And also we have a 
uh, a conference coming up on specifically on this book, which is April 29th. 29? 29th. Yeah, at... yeah. And it will distribute it, the information will distribute it together with this uh, video podcast. It will be at uh, let's say uh, let's say European time half, half past eleven through half till past... about two thirty, so eleven thirty a.m. for uh, three hours through till two thirty p.m. Which is that will be UK time, so Europe UK time. So uh, yeah. continental time one hour later. Yeah, yeah, and everywhere else work it out from there. But that's yeah. on the 29th of April, um, and. Hopefully, we'll have some information about that, which I can put in the description below. It's completely free. Um, so if you want to come along and listen to Rico and I think five other speakers talk about philosophy of mysticism, uh, it's completely free. It'll be very interesting. It'll be a great little conference. Uh, and also, the book is um, available online. Um, so yeah, but I think other than that, Rico, we've done a nice little job introducing Duprell's philosophy of mysticism, and hopefully, volume two will be out soon. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.